We're going to spend some time now looking at the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that Bible, open it up to Proverbs. Proverbs is basically in the middle of our Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and want to look at the black Bibles under the chairs, you can grab one of those. Open it up to the middle. We should be around page 552. Page 552. Today we are finishing Proverbs. We're finishing Proverbs. Can you believe it? We're done with the book. We're in the last half of Proverbs chapter 31. We've called this series in Proverbs, Scandalous Wisdom. What we've said repeatedly is that wisdom, biblically, is listening to God's voice. What does God have to say to me? I'm going to trust Him, listen to Him, obey Him. That's biblical wisdom. And then we said, that's scandalous in our world. Our world thinks that's crazy, so we need a little courage to believe Him and trust Him and and trust that He's good. But we also want to be reminded that He gives grace. He's a grace-giving God. He loves us, and as we enter into the scandal of walking with Jesus We're going to have grace to give to the people around us as well. This week, the second half of Proverbs 31, it's a very famous passage. There's all kinds of coffee cups and Christian t-shirts made about this. Uh, This is about the strong woman, the strong woman. So Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, very famous passage, the strong woman. The Hebrew phrase for strong woman is isha chayil. Isha Chayil. You want to try that? You got to, okay? Can you do that? All right, let's practice it. Isha Chayil. Very good. You know Hebrew now. You're, you're doing great. What it means literally is the strong woman. Now, it's translated differently in all of our translations because the text is doing something poetic here. It's talking about physical strength and it's talking about virtue and wisdom. And it's trying to tie those things together, right? So that's why our interpreters and translators translate it in so many different ways. It's like the ESV that we're going to be reading together today uh, uses the same phrase that the New American Standard Bible uses, and that's the excellent wife, the excellent wife. Here's another way that it's translated in the NIV and the CSB, a couple of other popular translations a lot of us use. It translates it this way, the wife of noble character. These are good translations. I'm not saying they're wrong. Um, And then The most famous one probably historically is the King James Version, and it translates it as the virtuous woman. Those are all correct. They're all right, but I want to start where the text starts. Like what they're doing is they're kind of starting where the text ends in in kind of strapping it to virtue and excellence. I want to start where the text starts, which is just the strong woman. And as you move through the text, this is reinforced in multiple ways. It's, It's like manly warrior language that's used again and again. As a matter of fact, one of the translations for chayil is army, right? So some people say the valiant or the warrior woman, right? So remember, who's the first audience here? We, we said this again and again. The first audience of Proverbs, it was originally written for teenage boys. That's the first audience. So this is kind of holding up the action hero woman, and then it's saying, hey, there's more to her than just the action hero. She's actually really loving her family and her community, and really what's at the foundation of this action hero woman, this warrior woman, this strong woman, at the foundation of it is her love of God. And so as I was wrestling with this and all the language, again, we'll see this in other parts of the poetry, all this language about her arms, her strength that uses like lion language, all kinds of stuff here that reinforces war and strength and power I thought, strong woman, strong woman. You know, I just got to Google strongest woman in the world, right? Like, of course. So I Googled it. And what I found at first, some of it was disturbing, okay? But I was encouraged as I read further. I found that I can actually bench press more 
than some of the strongest women in the world. So I was pretty excited about that. I was like, okay, I am stronger than some of the strongest women in the world, a small minority of them, to be fair. I found that the actual strongest woman in the world can bench press three times as much as me. That's amazing, right? Like, that's just, that's bananas. That's crazy. I was researching more, kind of looking through the list of all the different ones. There's, there's a kind of a big event called like the strongest woman in the world event, and they do all kinds of different events. They, they like lift boulders, they drag trucks, um, all kinds of stuff like that, right? Uh, just normal weightlifting. It's like 20 different events that they compete in. Uh, and I found this one woman who had, who had won in Finland, the strongest woman in Finland, multiple times. She won the strongest woman in uh, Europe multiple times. You're nodding your head. You know her, right? Uh, she came in second or third place multiple times, strongest woman in the world. But she holds the Guinness World Record for beer keg toss. <laughs> this woman can toss a beer keg 11 feet 4 inches into the sky. Is that amazing? Isn't that crazy? And as I'm studying this, I'm starting to think, I think I'm getting off on a tangent, right? Like... <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm, I'm kind of getting to the side of what, of what this text is about, but, but let me try to reel it back in. That's the kind of language that Proverbs 31 is using here. Like, that's what it's saying. It's like, she is so strong. She's like a warrior. Her hands are incredible. Her arms are so strong. So, so the text, it's not my fault. The text took me there, okay? <laughs> the text is saying, you want a strong woman. The text is saying, you want to be a strong woman. And the Bible again and again praises physical strength. It's a good thing. You want to be strong, right? Like you can get more done if you're strong. You can be healthier if you're strong, but the text doesn't leave us there. That's like the introduction to all of this, right? The text says, but ultimate strength is this reliance on God. Ultimate strength. The strong woman is the wise woman, the woman who listens to the voice of God. And as we said, the first audience, it's teenage boys, but all of Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and rebuking, instructing in righteousness, and has something to teach us as well. Older men, older women, girls, boys, all walks of life, it applies to all of us. If we want to be strong, we have to know God. We have to listen to His voice. That's what wisdom really is. So I'm going to read Proverbs We're going to start in Proverbs 31, verse 10. I'm going to read the first few verses, skip over the middle section, read the last few verses. We'll get to the middle section also. We'll read it eventually. But just to to get us started, I want to kind of give the intro and conclusion of this passage. So starting in verse 10, it says, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good not harm, all the days of her life. Her children, I'm skipping to verse 28 at the end. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The middle section we're going to read in a few minutes, it just continues to expound on these ideals and give very specific characteristics, real strong things that she's actually doing. 
But the introduction is, this is this incredible strong woman. Who can find her? She's amazing. And then it ends with, you know what? Really, her strength comes from fearing the Lord. Her beauty will fade. Her charm can deceive. But really, what's the foundation? What lasts is the fear of the Lord. Awe at God, his goodness, his kindness, his holiness. And so we have this incredible ideal here. I'm going to pray that God would help us by his Holy Spirit to hear this well, because this passage throughout the history of the Christian church has often been used as a club, right? It's often been used as a club to shame women who don't feel like they're measuring up. It's often been used as a club to make single women or women without a family to feel less than. We want to acknowledge that this is God's word. It is a gift to us, but we might struggle to understand how it applies. So I'm going to pray that his spirit would be with us. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us. We know that because of Jesus. We know that you took our sin on your back. We know that you died for us, that the price was paid, that you said, Jesus, it is finished. And we know that you rose from the dead, that you've conquered sin and death, that you rule and reign, that you are the king. And you give that resurrection power to us if we trust you. So we're, we're trusting you. We're, we're asking for your help. We pray that you would send your spirit Your spirit would help us to understand your word, that this would be a supernatural exchange, a supernatural experience by which we actually hear your voice through your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the headline is strong woman. That's the big idea. And as I said, a lot of that's reinforced throughout the poetry. The rest of the text, it reinforces it again and again, talking about strength and using warrior language. You're talking about her hands and her arms and just hitting it again and again, but it's, it's trying to like start there, like hook us in with like, oh, she's impressive, she's strong, and then take us to something more, a spiritual strength, a spiritual reality that this is an emblem of. I think it's helpful before we move into kind of the main sections to just understand how this compares to other ancient poetry about women during the same time period. So two huge categories, kind of two big cultural categories that we have a lot of literature from is Middle Eastern poetry and classical Greek poetry. We have a lot from this time period. And the Middle Eastern poetry generally praised women for their physical beauty. And there was such an emphasis on that 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 culture seemed to only value women as sexual objects. And the Bible comes along and says, well, yeah, beauty's great. That's a good, blessed thing that God created, but that's not the only thing, right? There's more than that. On the other side, we have classical Greek poetry that at this time period praised women for being quiet and getting out of the way. And again, the Bible seems to praise quietness, to say, man, there's, there's a real gift Ladies, when you can hold back and encourage your man to speak, there's something good there, but there's more to womanhood than just being quiet and getting out of the way, right? It's this kind of passivity that's held up in the classical Greek culture. And we would say both of those are kind of missing their mark. They're maybe taking one aspect that could be a positive thing about womanhood and just making it everything. And so what we have here is this third thing, this this other thing, right? The biblical worldview kind of encompasses all of these beautiful things we recognize in culture, but it takes us deeper. It kind of drives us to want something more. So as we read through the text, we see three things. The introduction tells us that the strong woman is a treasure of grace. Talks about rare jewels, hard to find. The strong woman is a treasure of grace. 
And then the second section, the main body, pardon the pun here, the strong woman embodies wisdom. It's going to talk a lot about her physical activities, what she's actually doing in reference much, her, her hands, her arms, her strength. So the strong woman embodies wisdom. All these things we've been told about what wisdom is throughout the whole book of Proverbs is now embodied in this single superhero at the end of the book. And then third, the strong woman fears God. That's the foundation. And everything we talk about, we're going to kind of try to pull ourselves to that finish line, to that foundation as we move through the text. The strong woman fears God. And now I've taken a lot of time for the intro and haven't even set my timer. Okay. So, First point, the strong woman is a treasure of grace. The strong woman is a treasure of grace. She's rare. She's better than jewels. Who can find her? Starting again in verse 10, it says, An excellent wife, a strong woman, an Isha Chayil, who can find? Where do we find this kind of person? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He trusts her. She's not just a sexual object for his pleasure. And she's not this uh, problem that needs to stay out of the way and stay at home and, and, and not offer any input. No, he, he trusts her. He respects her. He will have no lack of gain. No lack of gain. It's a peculiar word in Hebrew. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But let's read the next verse. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She gives grace to him. She's a treasure. Who can find this kind of person? How do we become this kind of person? How do we find a partner like this? The text is starting out with the same problem that we have of like, yeah, it's slim pickings out there, right? Like, I mean, I'm not that kind of person. You're not that kind of person. Where are we going to find this kind of person? The text is trying to drive us to our need of God. This is supernatural. This is a wonder. This is a, a miracle. Someone like this, this is amazing. Someone that like loves God and works hard and you can trust them absolutely and they're just awesome? That's a rare thing. And that kind of thing only takes root in our hearts and in our lives as we trust God. As the supernatural God of the universe breaks in to our broken world. Then we begin to become these kinds of people. A treasure of grace. A rare jewel. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She helps him. She doesn't hurt him. Her husband trusts her. Now, before I look at this unusual word gain, I just want to kind of talk a little bit on the side because Proverbs is doing something here that Genesis does a lot. And because of our modern world, because this is kind of weird and sounds traditional to our modern world, we have to set it in context. So kind of traditional views of home and family are definitely encouraged biblically, but they're not everything. And so what happens in our world is our world is constantly kind of bouncing between the extremes of like hyper-traditionalism, it's everything, it's the most important thing in the world, and then bouncing back to like there's abuses there, so we swing over to like an egalitarianism where there's no gender distinctions and no traditions matter, right? Throw it all out the window. I think the Bible supports something more like the traditional view, but we don't follow traditional views because they're traditional. We only follow them when they line up with Scripture, Right? And so we're going to kind of tease that out and pick this apart. The Bible definitely blesses things like having a family, having kids, and building a business again and again. That's the default of Genesis. That's what we're made for. We build paradise. We spread paradise. We have dominion. We rule and reign. 
co-regents together, made in the image of God, male and female, king and queen. That is definitely the default. And yet Scripture also blesses singleness. It blesses those that don't have a traditional family, that maybe are not married, that maybe don't have a traditional business. The Scripture also blesses that, right? And when we were in 1 Corinthians, we talked about it, and we've talked about it some in Proverbs as well, but Paul clearly blesses singleness. We, we kind of wish, because the way we're wired, we wish that he would say, like being married is better than being single, or being single is better than being married, but he doesn't, right? Like we want to compare. We want to be on the good team. Like I'm the winner, I'm single, or I'm the winner, I'm married. And he doesn't do that. Uh, the way I would teach it is that the Bible has this default of kind of the norm or the fallback position. It's having a family, having kids, building a business, progressing in these kind of cultural, physical ways. And yet the scripture also blesses and affirms singleness. and says you can have an incredible impact for the glory of God and the kingdom as a single person. Paul affirms this very explicitly in 1 Corinthians 7. And so I just want to pause and say, if you're single, particularly women, if, if you're f- single, know that God sees you and he's with you and he blesses you. Uh, just because you're not married, it doesn't mean you're not beautiful. You are beautiful. That's how God made you. And you need to hear that. You need to be reminded of that. Having a husband or not having a husband is not the determining factor, right? So again, the scripture encourages these things. Like, yeah, go have a family, go build a business, go do these things. But that doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen, right? Paul is clear that you can be blessed and be used by God as a single person, serving others, loving others. And that's constantly affirmed in the New Testament. Our, our heroes of the faith, Paul, Jesus, they were single, right? So we just need to, we need to balance those things out. We need to not apologize for family values, but we also want to recognize there, there's this other calling that many people have. And so as we think about it, I think it's helpful to say, okay, even if you don't have a traditional family, it's still the model for productivity in life, right? So even if you are single, the scripture continually uses family and building a business as this kind of matrix for us to view, how am I going to be productive in life, right? I might not, I might not have a family, but God still calls me to have spiritual family. I may not have kids, but God still calls me to be spiritually reproductive, right? And raise others up in the faith. So even in Isaiah, where it blesses singleness and it talks about the glories of the new covenant, it says that eunuchs and women with no children, right? Barren women, it's basically talking about single men, single women with no family. It says in the kingdom of God, they're going to be spiritually reproductive. And so we just have to put it all in context and say, we can learn from these traditional marriage and family texts, even if we're single. Because God calls us all to spiritual productivity. God calls all of us to build spiritual family. Okay, so moving on. In this text, has this traditional language of how valuable this woman is to her husband. And it reminds us that as men, especially original audience of teenage boys, we should look, like, look for this kind of partner. It also inspires us to have this kind of character, to look like this kind of character as well. And it has this peculiar little verse that I want to point out in verse 11. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. So I said, that's a funny word in Hebrew, it's shalal. And the word gain is actually plunder. The English translation kind of softens it up a little bit. It says, she's going to bring home war plunder for you, man. She's going to fight. Yeah, amen. Thank you. She's going to fight side by side with you. Again, it's this like, 
warrior language. She's going to bring home treasure, the spoils of war. Do you see her that way? Or do you just see her as a sexual object, like the other Middle Eastern poetry of the day? Or do you just see her as someone that's quiet and needs to get out of the way and leave you alone? No, she's a partner. She's involved with you. Some lectures I listened to um, years ago by Nancy Piercy. She's a Christian author, worldview author, has a lot of great things to say out there, written a lot of books. And she was talking about how our view of male-female relationships have often been colored by 1950s America. And so again, we want to just be real clear about this. Often as Christians, we're going to line up on the traditional side of things, right? But we don't go to tradition first. We go to the Bible first. And so we can mix up biblical roles with leave it to beaver roles, And she talked about this in her lecture. She said, man, in most times throughout history, uh, the husband didn't go off to work in some factory driving a car across the suburbs 20 miles, right? Like that's not normal. That's an unusual thing that we live in in the last hundred years. In most times in history and in most cultures in history, husband and wife were side by side, co-regents together in a family business, raising a family together, and executing a business together. And yes, men are often more external, right? They've got more physical strength often, and so they're often doing more of the dangerous, hard physical work, and women are often nurturing the kids more, right? That's good and right. The Bible reinforces that. Yes, women pour into the home. That's a good thing. We're not ashamed of that. But also, we miss out that we're in a unique time in history where we're so divided, we forget that in most times in history, husband and wife are like way more side by side than we are now. And that's a beautiful thing to aspire to. And that's part of the value of this treasure of grace. The young man's being told, you can count on her. You can lean on her. Like you're going to go off to battle together and she's going to bring home the spoils of war with you. I grabbed a picture of treasure, just thinking of this treasure idea. They just found some of this buried treasure in the Mediterranean Sea, just tons of gold coins, right? We all dream of of finding buried treasure, or less, I dream of finding buried treasure. Maybe you don't. And this text is saying she is that treasure and she's going to bring home treasure as well. She's going to fight in this spiritual war against the zombies with you and she's going to bring home the spoils of war. She's going to help you make an impact in this world. And we should value this kind of woman. She's waging war with you side by side. So let's think about it. What's our our picture of the ideal woman? Whether you're a woman or a man, what's your picture of the ideal woman? Is it just a sexual object? Is it quiet and passive and stay out of the way? Or is it this biblical view of someone who is incredibly strong, who can be relied on, who is a co-regent, king and queen over creation, right? Genesis sets Adam and Eve up as kings and queens over creation. The husband-wife relationship is not one of king and slave. It's king and queen ruling and reigning and working together. Now, again, the Bible doesn't apologize for words like submission, right? It doesn't apologize for words like respect and some kind of um, love-respect difference in the male-female relationship. We'll get to that in the second point. But there's also this like power and strength in the godly woman. And we should lift that up and say, that's, that's the ideal. That's what I'm looking for in a partner. That's what I want to be as a person as well. So as we think about this, treasure of grace, and we think about a partner that can really bring home the spoils of war, I want to share this quote from you from 2 Corinthians 10. Because as I said, we're kind of starting with physical blessings, but the Proverbs keeps pointing us to spiritual blessings. 
starting with physical blessings. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. There's spiritual blessings that we're shooting for. The physical blessings are emblems of what the new heavens, the new earth is looking like. And so we may have lots of blessings in this world. We may have little blessings, but we're trying to bring uh, our friends and family to have full blessings and see Jesus face to face with us. So 2 Corinthians 10 talks about warfare and plundering in this way. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're not relying on the warfare of the flesh. Is it good to be strong? Yeah, you can get more done. You'll live longer. You'll bless other people. But is that everything? It's not everything. What Proverbs keeps pointing us back to is, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you obeying what he's told you to do? Are you taking every thought captive? Are you listening to the world? This is the only way you can be happy and be saved is to indulge yourself. Or are you listening to a Jesus who says, no, lay your life down. Come follow me. It will be worth it. But the second point is that the strong woman embodies wisdom. She embodies wisdom. So Proverbs has given us lots of practical wisdom, how to live your life, but it started with this ideal of lady wisdom. It contrasted that lady wisdom with lady folly. So it gave us these kind of Platonic ideals, right? Kind of disembodied ideals of wisdom. And now it's bringing it down to earth and it's, it's putting a body on these ideals. Like this is what it looks like in real life. Hard work, faithfulness to your family, care for the poor. It's gonna, it's gonna flesh it out, okay? And so the strong woman embodies wisdom. As we look through this long checklist, this is probably the part that's the hardest on people People read it. I mean, I read this. I'm a man, not a woman, but I read this like, man, I've wasted so much time. I am a loser, right? Like, like who can measure up to this? And I know women feel this way. I want to encourage you that there's this process we see in the New Testament. In James and in Ephesians, it says, as we trust God, he will change our heart and we will start to change bit by bit. You don't become this kind of person tomorrow. You just take a next step and a next step you trust him, you follow him. You say, Jesus, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me next week? And you just take next steps of following him and he will build this kind of strength in your life. So don't read the checklist, say, I'm a loser, fill yourself with shame and walk away. Say, Jesus loves me so I can take a next step, right? So let's read now the hard checklist. She seeks wool and flax. I'm in verse 13, 13 through 27. She seeks wool and flax So these are materials she's making things with. She works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar, right? And so she's bringing in uh, gourmet food, right? Like even her food is, is amazing and she's going far and traveling far to find it. It says in verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. This is another one of those phrases that is a little bit cleaned up in English. Um, the scholars say this is the language of a lioness getting up in the dark and stalking her prey. Uh, the word for food here is literally the word prey, right? So it's like she goes out, she attacks the food, she drags it back home for her cubs, okay? So women, add that to your list. Go out with your, 
razor-sharp teeth, kill something, bring it home bodily in the middle of the night. Verse 15, she rises while it's night, provides prey for her household and portions for her maidens. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's a businesswoman. Again, she's not only taking care of her household, she's also building businesses, right? And so the list just kind of uh, gets longer and longer and longer. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. More of the strong language. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Add to your list, you need to stop sleeping, ladies, okay? (laughs) She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. So these are two different words, like for weaving looms, you know, like these uh, wooden rods. And again, most scholars think this is just one more kind of poetic um, implication of like the hands of a warrior grabbing a spear, right? So, So even when she's weaving something. She looks like a mighty warrior grabbing a spear and, you know, killing her enemy. So it just kind of keeps going with this warrior language. And then it transitions. Not only is she strong, but she opens her hands to the poor. She's gracious. She's generous. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household. I felt like this morning I had to like dig out of 10 feet of snow. I don't know about y'all, there was a little frost on the windows. It was, it was frightening. But she's not afraid of that, right? She can handle it. All her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. So she even loves herself a little bit, right? She's got some fancy bed coverings she made. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. All of this is poured through this New Testament vision of The wife is this mighty warrior who can stand on her own in many ways, but she takes all of that strength and she funnels it through helping her husband to be great. It's this amazing picture. It's a picture of how Christ serves us, lifts us up. It's a beautiful picture. So in the New Testament, it says a husband should sacrificially love his wife. He should die for her. He should give himself up for her. And then it flips that same kind of Jesus sacrifice language around in a different way and says, a wife should submit and respect her husband. Now, the word submission is interesting because, again, in our kind of modern era of wanting to throw out all traditional roles, submission sounds really hard. But it's essentially a word that says you're coming alongside the mission of another and helping them accomplish their task. Again, you're waging war side by side with them. You're helping them to bring home the plunder of war in our war against spiritual zombies. And so, again, she lifts up her husband. It says her husband's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Question is, do you as a wife make your husband more strong, more influential, or do you make him weaker? It says in verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And so this is embodied wisdom. 
These are actions that she does with her hands. And her hands are strong, and we should aspire to be strong, yes. But I hope you see that this is all funneled towards loving those around her, lifting others up, trusting God, glorifying God. This is a long and difficult list. And I think, again, if, if you look at this list, it's easy to be overwhelmed um, just with how much is there. A couple of things that I think are helpful when we think about this. Um, number one, for context, uh, she embodies a lifetime of wisdom. Uh, this woman, the strong woman, she's 60 years old. She's not 20. Now, there's no secret number in the text. I'm just telling you, like, look at everything she's accomplished. That's not a 20-year-old. That's a 60-year-old. Now, when I first met my wife, we've been married 29 years now. She's not 60 yet. Don't take this the wrong way. But, uh, sorry, I get distracted. Um, when I first met her, right, I was incredibly attracted to her. I saw this one. I saw the potential. I saw she was beautiful. She was strong. She was faithful. She loved Jesus. And so I went to my pastor. And I was like, I think she's the one. And what did my pastor do? Well, my, my pastor pulled out Proverbs 31. He was like, well, let's see, is she the one? And we flip open Proverbs 31. And he starts going through the list. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's her, that's her, that's her. And yes, character-wise, direction, um, the way she lived her life, that was her. And even more so now, it is her. Over 30 years of being married and raising kids together. Do you see that this is, this is cumulative? This builds over time. And so I've realized over time, yeah, that's, that's not a 20-year-old. You can have that character at 20. You can be taking these steps at 20, but all this long, incredible list of accomplishments, that's, no one's accomplished that at 20 years old. This is a lifetime of taking the gifts, the opportunities, the stewardships that God has given you, and working with them. Saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to do something with what you've given me. I think it's also important to understand that she embodies the ideals of wisdom. She's embodying the ideals. This is still poetry. And so this is very real. It's giving us very tangible ways that this can look. It's still poetic, right? Her, her lamp doesn't go out at night. That's poetry. Ladies, if you try to never sleep, you will die, okay? Like you, you can't do everything. Some people get really close, right? At 60, at 70, you may have accomplished most of this. But it's still poetry. It's still an idea, so I want to just bring it back to the idea of what's your interaction with kind of inspiring lists of character and great accomplishments? Do you see it as kind of like a matrix of if I do this, then I'll be okay. Then God will have to bless me. Then I'll finally have his attention. Then I'll be blessed. Or do you see that you've already got all those blessings in Christ now? He loves you. He sees you. He delights in you through Jesus. Know that now and then take steps to begin to live out some of these character traits. I struggled with this in a huge way as my kids were graduating from high school. Um, I would just have these kind of waves of depression, regret, anxiety coming over me as each one graduated. They all graduated two years apart, 2015, 2017, 2019. And I was like, I've wasted so much time. I didn't do all this. I wasn't the perfect dad. And we were at an elders retreat, and I remember kind of sharing that with some of the elders, processing through that. And 
through their wise advice and encouragement, they encouraged me to go back to the basics, right? Back to the basics of what I think is the foundational thing here, which is verses 25 and 26, strength and dignity, strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come, right? So she's got a clothing. She's got an identity of strength and dignity that she's gotten from God. And then it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I see a very foundational piece here of, man, you can't accomplish everything on this list, but you got to do that. You got to do verse 25 and 26. You got to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Trust that Jesus is enough so that you can laugh at the days to come. You have absolute security in him. You know, if everything else goes wrong in this world, you'll see him face to face and it's going to be all right. And then speak that truth and wisdom to other people. That's the foundation. I realized that in my own journey as a dad, I had a pretty good relationship with my dad on and off different years, but he was gone most of my childhood. And so he really wasn't a model for how to be a dad. And so I became a Christian. I grew up in the church, had a lot of godly mentors. And I realized I started to kind of build this perfect ideal of the perfect husband and father. And what I did was I kind of scanned all the godly men I knew and I'd spent time with, and I took uh, the best parenting, uh, the best family vacation. I took the best uh, discipline. I took the one who spoke the best about Jesus. I took the one who seemed to have the best relationship with his wife. And I started to build this pantheon of perfect manhood, right? And so I grabbed a picture here. This maybe captures the image of, of what I was thinking. <laughs> These are like toy superhero action, action figures, right? And you've like combined an arm and a leg and a head and a torso of all these different superheroes, but this isn't, it's not really a real person anymore, right? And so like when my kids are graduating, I'm like, I never took them camping. I'm the worst father in the world. I'm such a failure. I can't believe it. I never did it, you know? Super dad number 27 took his kids camping all the time. And I've got this whole list of things I'm trying to live up to. The elders of our church encourage me. Now, just, just go back to the basics. Clothe yourself in strength and dignity in Christ. Allow him to be your identity so that you can laugh at the days to come. Speak that wisdom. Speak that truth to other people. Take the next steps that he's put in front of you. Don't be overwhelmed by the whole list. It's an impossible list. There's too much here. But also don't throw it out the window. It's a good list. Read the list, but just take it one step at a time. Trust that God is good. He's with you. He'll help you. Jesus is with you. He's not waiting for you to accomplish this list before he comes into your life. He's in your life now, and he's going to help you do the next thing. So application, yes, work hard. Yes, make money. Yes, serve your family. Yes, serve the poor but don't miss verse 25 and 26. Clothe yourself in the strength and dignity of a God who loves you so that you can laugh at the uncertain futures to come, knowing that your ultimate future is settled in him. And then share that. Speak that truth. Speak that wisdom with those around you. The strong woman embodies wisdom, and ultimately she does that in her trust in God and her speaking about that trust. Okay, finally, the strong woman fears God. The strong woman fears God. Um, It comes back to this foundation. Proverbs is hit again and again. The Old Testament hits it again and again. In the New Testament, we used phrases like belief, trust, and those phrases in the Old Testament are spoken of as the fear of God. To these ancient warrior people, 
they come undone before God. They melt in God's presence. Like Isaiah. Isaiah gets a vision of God and he says, I am undone. I am unclean. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And when you can melt in the presence of God, when you can recognize God's holiness, his awesomeness, and you can tremble before him, he meets you with the kindness and grace of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is met by angels who atone for his sin. And that's fleshed out in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who absorbed the wrath of God, who's forgiven your sins. If you trust in him, he gives you his resurrection life. That's what the fear of God is. So the Proverbs 31 woman, the strong woman is impossibly strong. And yet what makes her actually strong is she melts before our strong redeemer. She melts before our God. She fears God. So verse 28, it says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The key here, I think, is verse 30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. doesn't mean it's like automatically wrong and lies to be charming. Please, please be charming. Charming is good, okay? What it's saying is you can trick people with your charm. And then it also says beauty is vain. And again, vain in our culture, in our day and age, sounds really negative. It's the Hebrew word chavel. We studied it in Ecclesiastes like a vapor. It's a smoke. Uh, It's a puff of air. So what that word vain means is it's real, but it doesn't last. It's like your breath on a cold morning. It's there. You're seeing something, but it blows away real quickly. What's saying is our physical beauty, our physical strength is disintegrating. But our foundation, our eternal strength is the fear of the Lord. It's permanent. And then we have this incredible story where in the resurrection, Jesus restores our physical strength and our physical beauty. We'll be more beautiful than we can even imagine right now. And so it's saying, yeah, charm can trick people. Beauty doesn't last. Strength doesn't last. But one who fears the Lord is to be praised. Do you fear the Lord? Are you melting before him? I grabbed a picture of a uh, classic Mustang. It's all rusty, um, but if you like Mustangs, you're like, wow, that's beautiful, right? And that's kind of who we are. I come back to this image again and again. Francis Schaeffer said it, we're glorious ruins. Human beings are glorious ruins. We have the glory of God. He's made us glorious. Human beings are incredible, right? That's why we love great music. That's why we love to see Michael Jordan slam a basketball. That's why we love these incredible things because human beings are incredible. And yet we're twisted and broken. We're rusty. Our strength is fading. Our beauty is fading. It's melting away. And yet we can have this eternal foundation, this eternal rock in God himself headed towards a future of seeing him face to face and having our beauty restored. But ultimate beauty rests in the character of God, in who he is, in fearing him, in, in knowing him. So, so how do we fear God? What do we do? How do we invest in this world? How do we apply this? 
I think, again, the Scripture continues to encourage physical strength. It encourages working hard. It encourages making money and building a business and all these things. But it's like, don't miss the most important thing, which is knowing God, investing in other humans, knowing His Word. Are you praying? Are you spending time with God? Are you investing in God's Word? Do you listen to it? Do you speak it, as verse 26 describes? Are you investing in relationships? Again and again, she's blessing her husband. She's blessing her children. She's blessing others in town. She's helping the poor. Are you investing in relationships, other human beings, in the name of Jesus? As we invest in these things, these are ways that we display our fear of God, where we're saying, no, God's more, more important than how I would come up with my own identity. I'm going to trust him and what he says. Well, we'll wrap up here. Proverbs, the whole book, Starts with these pictures of ideal wisdom, and now it's ending with pictures of ideal wisdom. And again, to put it in context of the whole Bible, Proverbs is written by Solomon, son of David. And David's kind of the uh, paradigm of the good king that's supposed to point us to who? Jesus Christ, right? So throughout the scripture, we're always told that this Savior that's coming, he's a son of David. So Solomon was the greatest king in Israel's history, incredibly wise incredibly rich, but he fell from everything that God had called him to by his giving in to sexual immorality, right? He fell for the Middle Eastern poetry of his day, even as God used him to edit and write poetry like this. And so we have this amazing character arc where we're still looking for the true son of David. Solomon fell short. And what's really fascinating, Kathy Arako pointed this out to me as we were talking about the text, our women's ministry director. She was telling me, and I, I looked this up in some other books as well, that in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs 31 is immediately followed by the book of Ruth. Anybody ever read the book of Ruth? Pretty short book. It's really great. Um, it's a really cool book. And so Hebrew Bible is arranged in a different order than ours. You know, like the uh, order of our books is not commanded by God, right? Like we just, somebody figured that out and we stuck with it. But the Hebrew Bible is arranged differently. So right after Proverbs 31 is the book of Ruth. And Ruth is a prequel. It's a backstory about the throne of David. Ruth is the great grandmother of King David. And so what's fascinating in Ruth is Ruth is this poor woman who's lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her um, brother-in-law. She's lost her father-in-law. And so her mother-in-law, Naomi, is like, man, we've lost everything. You need to go back to your family. I'm going to go back to my family in Israel. We're going to figure this out. Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites were one of the tribes that hated God. They were in utter opposition to the people of God. But Ruth made a turn. She converted and said, no, I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to follow your people. I'm going to go with you. So Ruth becomes a disciple of Naomi, this Jew more than a disciple of Naomi. She becomes a disciple of her God. And so the story is really beautiful. As you follow the story, she meets her kinsman redeemer. So there's this man who's a distant cousin in the way that Jewish law is written. It's the job of the distant cousin to help redeem these people who have become widows who have lost everything. And so it's this love story. There's intrigue. It's a great story. Go read it this week. But this redeemer, this kinsman redeemer, guess what his name is? His name is Boaz, right? But what's that mean in Hebrew? Strength. 
So this strong redeemer looks at Ruth, who has no money, who has no children, who has no husband, who is poor and is begging at this point to eat and survive. He looks at her and he says, you, Ruth, are Isha Chayil. You are the strong woman. It's a beautiful picture. It shows us that, yeah, we can aspire to do everything in this list of what the strong woman accomplishes. But you can be a strong woman even if you've lost everything. Even if you have nothing. And that was the great-grandmother of Jesus. Now she goes on to, to marry her kinsman redeemer Boaz. And they have kids. They live happily ever after, right? And her great-grandson is King David. And eventually, way after that, Jesus Christ himself. And yet I think the contrast is so important, right? God calls us to incredible accomplishments. And many of you will accomplish things you never dreamed of. Others of us will fall far short of everything we thought we would accomplish in this, this world. Either way, if we trust God, we can be strong in his eyes. As we trust our, our strong redeemer, as we trust Jesus, the one who all of these stories are actually pointing to, he redeems our life. He uses us where he's planted us, and we are strong in him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us so much. You gave Jesus to redeem us, to give us his strength as a substitute. Jesus is the truly strong one. As the only one that never sinned, you stepped in and took our punishment on the cross. But as the ultimate strong one, you defeated sin and death. You died for us, but you also rose from the dead. You are now seated on the throne. You are king of the universe. You are the strong one. And so, Lord, as we see you, help us to have that sense of awe, that true fear, that we would trust you as bigger and more gracious than anything this world has to offer. Help us to trust you and to follow you, that your strength would be ours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.